we are wrapping up. This is the last week, last week of, uh, of Is Jesus Enough? This series that we've been in called Is Jesus Enough? And here's what we've been trying to do. Over the last, over the last three weeks, we have been trying to answer this question, is Jesus enough? Because on the surface, it seems like, of course, Jesus is enough. What are you talking about? This is the church. We have to say that Jesus is enough. And I think uh, it's, it's easy to say it with our, uh, our words. It's a different thing to ask the question, uh, do people see that Jesus is enough by the way that we live our life? That's a different question. And so the first, the first week we asked the question, is Jesus enough to make me righteous? Uh, and we looked at this story from John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. And then the next week we asked, is Jesus enough to restore me when I deny him? And looked at this story in John chapter 21 when Peter denies him. Uh, and this week we'll ask another uh, question about is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough to heal me from my, uh, in my brokenness? Is Jesus enough to heal my brokenness? And to get us there, I'll, answer, uh, I'll illustrate it in this way. I have this really vivid memory in my mind, like, a we- like weirdly vivid. Uh, of me growing up in elementary school, I grew up in a town called Deer Park, Texas, which is not here, obviously. Um, but I, I grew up in that in in town before I moved here in sixth grade. And I had a neighbor, his name was Jared. He was uh, like, I don't know, five years older than me. So I thought he was really cool. He was buff. He played football. And I was like, I want to be Jared. He has a six pack. So uh, I, I remember this conversation actually with Jared in my front yard. I don't know why I remember it so vividly, but I remember talking to him about a football game that he had just played. He played football, and uh, he was like, yeah, uh, I, I just came from a football game or wherever it was, and I, I threw up. I'm like, why'd you throw up, dude? He's like, oh, well, I drank milk before the game. Huh. Milk was a bad choice. That's right. Uh, and you laugh. You laugh at that because that's right. Like, milk is a port. Like, if you're going to go run or do anything that causes you to sweat, milk is not your number one choice. Like if you're coming in after like a, like a workout and you're like, mm, mom, milk, let's do this. That's weird. That's weird. And not like best for you. Uh, and you, like you, you think when I tell that story, you're like, well, that's ridiculous. And we know that because milk is not the thing that satisfies your body in that moment. And yet that's what he went to. He went to milk and it's silly in that story, right? It's ridiculous. But when it comes to satisfying the deepest longings of our heart, like in our life. When you run, when you run to other sources to satisfy you other than Jesus, the only outcome that you get is destruction. The only outcome that you get is brokenness. And some of you are really, really aware of that. And I'm not here to make you feel terrible. I'm just, I'm stating a reality. And so what I want to put before us today in trying to answer this question, is Jesus enough to heal our brokenness? Uh, It is not just that he is enough. It's that he's the only one that is enough to heal our brokenness. And he does it by satisfying the deepest longings in our heart. He satisfies the deepest longings in our heart and heals our brokenness. So we're going to look at this story in John chapter 4 that's going to help us flesh out this question. Starting in verse 1, John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was, uh, did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us, he gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So let me just set up what's going on here. Let me just kind of frame out this story for us so that we can understand all that's happening. So if you just back all the way up into verse 1, here's what happens. Jesus is coming from Judea to the Galilee. You, you, and on a map, you would see in between Judea and the Galilee, there is an area called Samaria. And if you're a Jew, you didn't go through Samaria. You went around Samaria. You avoided it because they were unclean people. They were half-breed people. You didn't want to be around them. You avoided Samaria. And yet Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, is about to walk straight through Samaria. That's weird. He knows what's going on. And so he walks into Samaria and he comes to a well. In Samaria, the sixth hour of the day. You're like, well, I don't know what that means. It's at noon. Noon in Israel. It's not cold. Right, so it's like roasting hot outside. Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, just showed up at a well at noon in Samaria. Nobody's around. And then this woman shows up. This Samaritan woman shows up at noon at a well by herself. And Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, speaks first. He says, uh, Say, girl. You think I can get a drink? And she's like, um, excuse me? Are you talking to me? Which I imagine Jesus is like, there's nobody else here. She says, well, how is it that you, a Jew, are, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Because it says in verse 9, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. What, what, what are you doing talking to me at all? And what are you doing asking me to get water for you? Like, what? this is weird. And Jesus' response, it's not like, well, I'm thirsty, please. He says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him for water and I would have given you living water. She still doesn't understand. She's like, well, you don't have a bucket? 
and the well's real deep. So that's not going to work. Jesus is like, listen. Everybody that drinks water from this well, you're going you're, you're to be thirsty again. You'll come back, right? You'll come back just like you do every day to get water. But if you drink from the water that I'm providing, you'd never be thirsty again. And her response tells on her. She goes, give me that water so I don't have to come back here. You're like, well, why does that matter? She doesn't want to show up. She doesn't want to walk into, the, into this place anymore. She doesn't want to have to bring the bucket to the well where people would be. She doesn't want to have to work hard to get there at noon so nobody is there. She doesn't want to come back to the well. Why? Because she is ashamed. She's showing up at noon when everybody else came hours and hours earlier because it's not near as hot at 7 o'clock in the morning as it is at noon in Israel. But she shows up at noon to the well because she's terrified that people would be there because she's ashamed of who she is. She's the town prostitute. And so every time she shows up, when people are there, she doesn't want to hear them say, oh, is that her? They don't want to hear them whisper about her, laugh behind her back, listen to the rumors that keep running around the well because she showed up. Because she's the town prostitute. So she comes at noon. And she'll be as uncomfortable as it takes. She'll be as inconvenienced as she can be because she doesn't want to have to deal with reminding herself of how, sh- of how ashamed she is of the life that she's living. So she comes by herself trying to avoid people. And Jesus is sitting there. And here's the deal. There are some of you who live that kind of life. You go to unbelievably ridiculous lengths to avoid people or places or memories or conversations Because it draws them back into a reminder of mistakes that you made. That you're ashamed of. And you carry every bit of that shame. Because of bad decisions that you made. And so you avoid the people. And you avoid the conversations. And you avoid avoid coming to church. Because you don't want to have to be reminded that you messed up. All you want to think is, I just wish people would, would forget it. I wish people would just stop looking at me because every time I see people look at me, I think they're judging me. They're thinking about how I messed up. That's all they're thinking about. And you heap shame on yourself over and over and over again. You live just like the woman at the well. Going to ridiculous lengths to avoid your shame. But that's not not all that we get into this inside of how broken this, this woman is. After she says, like, give me that water because I don't want to have to come back here again. I'm embarrassed of who, that, who I am and the mistakes that I've made. Jesus kind of exposes her a little bit more. He says, why don't you go call your husband? And she responds, I don't have a husband. Thinking that Jesus will say, oh, okay, no big deal. Go call your husband. I don't have one. That's right, you don't have one. You've had five and the guy that you're sleeping with now, he's not your husband. And he just kind of lays her stuff bare. What does that tell us about her? She's not just ashamed. But she has such a struggle that she goes to the same mistake over 
and over and over and over and over again. She keeps going back. She keeps going back because she's looking for satisfaction. She went to one guy and couldn't find it, so she went to another and another and another and another looking. Can you give me what I'm looking for? Can you give it to me? I'm trying to be satisfied, and so I will, I, will, I will drink from whatever well I need to, and if it's guy after guy after guy after guy after guy, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus exposes, those wells are never going to satisfy you. You're going to be thirsty forever if you drink there. And what does that tell us about us? That we're those same kind of people. We're looking for satisfaction, but we're looking for it in the wrong places. Some of you, some of you look to boyfriend or girlfriend to give you the satisfaction that you're, that you're wanting. If I could just have a boyfriend or have a girlfriend, or I could just do this with my girlfriend or this with my boyfriend, then I would be satisfied. I would be complete. That would, that would fill this void in me. And so some of you go to ridiculous lengths to get the attention of a guy or the attention of a girl, no matter what it costs you, because you're looking to be satisfied. And it's the wrong well to draw from. Some of you, some of you click on images on a screen or videos in a computer because you're desperately looking for something to control and something that you can, can look at to make you feel like you matter. And so you turn to pornography looking for it to complete you, for it to satisfy you, because you have this gap that you don't know how to feel, so this must be it. And maybe it's, maybe it's drugs, or maybe it's alcohol, and so you, you, you take off to the parties trying to feel like the man, but all the while you think in your head, this isn't who I want to be, this isn't who I am. Every time you wake up sober the next day, you're reminded, this isn't enough. And maybe it's even good things. We do this with good things. Some of you, some of you go to outrageous, outrageous links to, to academically achieve. You will sacrifice anyone and anything on the altar of getting an A. And you're looking, if I could just get the grades, or if I could just be on the team, or if I could just get the girl, or the guy, or the high, or the whatever, that will satisfy me. That will give me what I'm looking for. And every time you find yourself leaving boyfriend's house or girlfriend's house, or leaving the computer behind, or leaving the drugs and getting sober again, or leaving the academic achievement, you're reminded, this isn't enough. It just left me more thirsty it's not satisfying me. It's just reminding me that I'm messed up. And so it is with this woman. And so we're confronted with the question. Well, if I'm, if I'm broken, is Jesus enough to heal my brokenness? Is he enough to do it? Well, what did he do with this woman? He said to her, look at verse... Look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever well you're going to. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know how Jesus heals your brokenness? You know how Jesus puts you back together? Jesus heals your brokenness, puts you back together by satisfying the deepest longings in your heart. 
by satisfying every need that you think you have or don't even know that you have. Jesus satisfies every one of them. The things that you're looking for in a guy, the things that you're looking for in drugs, the things that you're looking for in academic achievement. Jesus satisfies the answer to those questions. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And maybe the question that you have is, how do you know that? Well, here's one reason. He created you. And if he created you, he knows exactly what you need to be satisfied. Colossians 1, 16 says this, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him. All things hold together. Jesus is the creator of the universe, everything in it, including you. And so guess who knows exactly what you need to be satisfied? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Not only do I know that he's the one, only one that can satisfy because he created you, but I know that he is the only one that can satisfy you because he's the only one that answers the deepest questions of your life. He's the only one that answers those correctly and fully. Where you're like, what questions are you talking about? I don't even know if I have questions about my life. Here are questions, three questions that you're asking about your life, whether you're actually physically asking them or just searching them out in the way that you live. The first question is this, do I have value? Do I matter? Do I matter? You're asking that question and you're seeking it by going to social group to social group or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Do I matter? I need somebody to give me approval. I need somebody to give me affirmation. I need somebody to say that I'm noticed. Here's how Jesus blows all those answers up. Jesus says, here's how much value you have. When he created you, he created you in his image. That's how much value you have. So do you have value? Jesus said, I'm making you in my image. You're the only being on the planet that bears the image of God. You humans, that's it. Animals didn't get it. Your dog that you look at in the face doesn't have the image of God. Nope, just you. How much value do you have to have? That's an incredible amount of value. More value than any achievement in the classroom, on the sports field, any affirmation that a guy or girl could give you. That's an incredible amount of value. You will get that nowhere else but Jesus. Do I have value? The second question, am I loved? Am I loved? You may not be asking this question out loud, but the way that you live, you're asking this question. Do people love me? Does, am I loved by someone? And listen, some of you, some of you, are going to outrageous lengths to feel like somebody loves you. Girls, guys, you will compromise physically with the opposite sex over and over again just to feel like you're loved. And I'm telling you, if you don't hear anything, look at me. A guy or a girl that pushes the limits physically doesn't love you. Doesn't love you. They want something from you, but they don't love you. And so you keep asking this question, am I loved? Do I matter? And so you go from guy to guy or girl to girl or social group to social group trying to feel like, man, do these people love me? I need love from somebody. Somebody love me. Maybe, maybe your parents aren't giving it to you, so you're just running somewhere else to get it. Am I loved? Am I loved? Am I loved? And I'm telling you, the, the only place that you're going get, to get it perfectly is Jesus. How do you know that? Because the cross proves it to you. The cross is the greatest display of love toward you that you have ever seen in your life. 
That's right. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That he gave his son to come live on the earth perfectly where you and I couldn't because of our sin and to die on the cross for you where you were supposed to die because of your sin. Jesus died because God loves you that much. Do you think you're going to get that kind of love from anybody else? You're not. So let's not be people who look for it everywhere else except for Jesus. Because he's the only one that loves you like that. If you're asking the question, am I loved? Look to the cross. And the last question is, uh, do I belong somewhere? Do I belong somewhere? Do I belong somewhere? Or do I belong to someone? You're asking this question all the time. Because the moment that you walk in a room, you're looking for people to stand with. Nobody walks into this lobby and goes, I'm really comfortable just standing by myself and like awkwardly. This is great. None of you want to do that. You want people to sit with. You don't have to talk to them. You're just like, can I just stand by you and look like we know each other because I need someone to stand by. Because you want to belong somewhere. You want people to belong with. You want groups to belong with. So some of you, some of you compromise. And do whatever you've got to do. Say whatever you have to say. Drink whatever you've got to drink in order for you to belong. And at the end of the day, you're trying to belong and you're compromising and you're going home and you're by yourself and you're thinking, that's not who I want to be. That's not who I want to be. And you just beat yourself in shame. Because it reminds you that you're broken. And all the while, the answer to the question is, if I'm in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you already belong somewhere. You belong in the family of God. John 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called the children of God and so we are. If you're God's children because of Jesus, that means you're in God's family. And that means you don't get to step out of it. God doesn't kick you out of it. God doesn't say you're a disappointment. God says you belong here because Jesus shed his blood for you. You belong forever. That's better than any friend group you could find. Any of them. You belong in the family of God. Okay, so maybe, maybe you understand. Okay, well you say, Jesus is the only one, you've proved to me, Jesus is the only one who can heal our brokenness by satisfying the deepest longings in our heart. Great. What if I'm too broken for that, Cade? What if I'm worse off than the woman in John chapter 4? Like, you don't know how bad some of the stuff that I've done is. You don't know what I've done with him or her. You don't know what I've done on the computer. You don't know what I've said. You don't know where I've gone, Kate. You don't know how bad it is. And so you tell yourself, you're too messed up. And then you start to hear the lie of Satan. God thinks you're a disappointment. God is let down by you. You call yourself a Christian? I can't believe that you would act that way. And you hear all these phrases that give you so much guilt and so much shame. And you buy the lie after lie after lie. And then you start to believe God doesn't care. God's turned his back. God's shoved me out. And you need to identify that as a lie. As a lie. Here's why. Here's why there's no one who can say there's no one on the planet that can say, I'm too broken for Jesus to heal me. Here's why. Romans chapter 5. 
For while we were still weak, while you were still messing up, while you still were getting it wrong, while you still blew it, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you when you were not getting it right. Jesus died for you when you were blowing it time after time after time after time. There is no amount of sin that is out the cross. There's none. There is no sin that out the cross. For you to say, I'm too broken for this. Jesus, I'm too broken for you. Like, like, I know that you can restore those people, but I'm way too messed up for you to restore me. That's just, that's for them. Then I, I, I'm me. You are saying, Jesus, your death on the cross was not enough. And the cross says, There's no sin that is bigger or greater than the sacrifice that Jesus made. Jesus said it's finished. So if you you think that your sin's bigger than Jesus' death, you're believing a lie. You're believing a lie. You can't out-sin the cross. Okay then, okay then, Cade. What do I do? What do I do? You do the same thing that Jesus did with this girl. The first thing you do is this. You identify what it is. What well are you running to to satisfy you? What place are you going to to satisfy what, you're, what you think you need? Maybe it's a guy, a girl, drugs, a pornography, academic achievement. I don't know. Fill in the blank. I have no idea. But what place are you running to, to drink from to satisfy you but coming back more thirsty every time? What place are you running to? What well are you trying to drink from? Identify it. And then, once you identify it, confess that sin to God. And then to another person. You're like, whoa, so ho, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm all good with like confessing it to God because like he's not here to embarrass me. But I'm supposed to like tell people that I messed up. Here's the deal. James chapter five says this. James chapter five. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. James says, confess your sins one to another. Now, does that mean you should just go around and be like, hey, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it. Like, no, you shouldn't do that. Find a person that you trust that's a follower of Jesus. Find a person that you trust that's a believer and tell them, look, I keep running here to find satisfaction. And I know it's not God's best for me. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And listen, if they look at you and say, oh my gosh, you need to say, and we're no longer friends. We'll be seeing you. Because they have no, they have no right to look at you and say, I can't believe you would do that because they're just as messed up as you are. They're just as messed up as you are. So, Identify, identify what you're running to. Confess your sin to God and to another trusted believer. And then repent, repent, turn from it. Go a different direction. Turn from your sin toward God. Turn from the well that you're drinking of from and turn to Jesus and drink living water. Be satisfied in Christ. Identify it, confess it, repent of it. Be satisfied in Jesus. And the last thing is this. The last thing is this. 
Once you identify, confess, repent, and be satisfied in Jesus, this is the last thing. Go be free to live different. Go be free to live different. I'm not saying, oh, well, Jesus died so I can confess this, repent. Okay, I got Kate's steps. Great. I'm free now. Okay, I'm going to go right back to it. No. Because when we come to Jesus and drink, when we come to Jesus and drink, it transforms us in such a way that we cannot be the same. We can't. You can't encounter the son of God and be, and be the same. You can't do it. If you say, if you say yeah, 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 Jesus has died on the cross and got up from the dead and all that stuff, but I can really live however the heck I want, then you have not encountered the risen Jesus. You haven't. Because the risen Jesus begs for us to be different. So go be free. Don't believe the, the guilt and shame that Satan's going to put on you. Go be free and be different. Be different. And what's the, what's the result? Find, uh, well, in this way, what's the result whenever Jesus heals our brokenness? What's the result? Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. This is crazy. Jesus reveals himself in the Messiah and then 28. So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town, said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. Like, put all her stuff on the table. She's like, wow, I'm real messed up. And you're Jesus. This is crazy. But she like, you're the Messiah. I believe you. And he like changes her life. And she's like, forget this water jar. I'm not even thirsty anymore. And she leaves and runs into the town. So what does being transformed and healed from your brokenness in Jesus do? It gives you freedom. No more shame. No more guilt. No more chains that, you, that are binding you and the lies that you have to believe. None of that anymore. She doesn't have to believe that she's a town prostitute. She's something different. She runs back into the town. Can you imagine what she would have to go through in her head? Like, these people think that I'm a prostitute and I'm about to run to them and tell them about Jesus. I bet they think I'm nuts. She doesn't care. She, she goes up to the people and she's like, I don't really care what you think about me. You need to come and see this guy. You have to come. You, like, you, you, no, shut your mouth. You have to come. Because it's that good. It's that good. She gets freedom. And then she gets joy. She goes to all these people. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. You don't do that without joy. And the last thing she gets, the last thing she gets is a story to tell. And the last thing you get is a story to tell. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. She ran up to these people and said, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Is this the Christ? And people believed Jesus because of her story of brokenness being transformed into something beautiful. If you're in here and you're saying, great, 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 I'll go to Jesus and I'll be healed and I'll be satisfied. I won't be broken anymore, but I'm not going to tell a soul about this deal. You are robbing God of a ton of glory. Tell the story. Because your story isn't, can we just glorify the fact that I'm a big screw-up? That's not the story. The story is, can you see, I was messed up and God made me something different in Jesus. That's an incredible story. That brings a ton of glory to God. You've got to tell that story. You've got to tell that story. So here's what's going to happen. The band's going to come back up here. There's a piece of paper and a pen underneath your chair. Why don't you grab it really quickly? If there's not a piece of paper and a pen underneath your chair, there's probably one near you. So you can grab that one. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't need to talk to anybody. You just need to grab it and look up here.
Just grab it and look up here. So, if you're, if during this whole deal, if during this whole deal, you're thinking in your head, you know what? There are wells that I'm running to to satisfy me that aren't satisfying me. They're not Jesus. I'm looking everywhere else. I'm looking everywhere else except for Jesus to satisfy me. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take that pen and, look, and that card and, say, and, and write down in that blank, Jesus satisfies better than whatever it is. Than my boyfriend, than my girlfriend, than pornography, than academic achievement. I don't care. Fill in the blank. I, it's, it's your life. You deal with God, honestly. It's not magic. Like, I, I didn't get these from heaven. I got them out of our copy room. But it's just a, a way for you to take a step to say, you know what? Jesus satisfies better than that. And you keep it. You put it in your Bible. You put it in your wallet. You put it on your dash. I don't care. You put it wherever you want. Just to be reminded when you want to go back to the computer or back to the girl or back to academic achievement that Jesus satisfies better than that. If you're in here and you're like, so do I have to fill this out? No, you don't. When, we, when, when I pray and they start to sing, you can just put it right back underneath your chair. I'm not judging you. Your people next to you aren't judging you. This is between you and God. If you don't want to do this, don't do it. It's not required. I'm not taking these up for a grade. But if you're in here and you're thinking, I've been running to all kinds of stuff besides Jesus to satisfy me, then you deal with God. Identify it. Write it down. Confess it to God, to a trusted believer. And then be free. Be free. No guilt. No shame. Be free.